right, I wanted to make an advertisement. Y'all, everybody got one of these? Get one out there. Get an extra one and give it to your neighbor. Give it to your coworker, your friends, because there's some great testimonies in this. I mean, this, I believe people can read this and the Lord will touch them when they're reading it. I mean, this thing is packed with testimonies. I'm, it's our newsletter, if you don't know, by, called Life in the River. But there's some out there on the table. If you don't have one, please get one. If you don't have one, read it yourself. Read those. I mean, I was reading it. These testimonies were making me cry when I'd read them. It's so powerful to read, you know, the testimonies of what God's done in people's lives. And I believe if you'll give it to your friends, unsaved friends, because it's one of these kind of things that unsaved people would read and be interested in. Uh, even you could give it to some religious people. They might get mad at you. <laughs> they might not like some of the stuff in there. But it's really good. So, Also, this, uh, we've made some more of these little brochures about the Father's House. really encourage you to get one if you don't have one uh, and read it. It's a tremendous vision. And this is, I'm going to be revising it again, but it's going to take me a, about a month to do it. So get this if you haven't seen it. So there's my advertisement for the morning. Everybody good? Yeah. <laughs> It's this great not having to preach two times this morning. Okay, I want to tell you all my little secret about preaching two times. Is I sweat when I preach. No matter what I do, if I try to stay calm, I sweat. If I don't be calm, I sweat. So I have to go home and change shirts a lots of times. At between services, because I sweat so hard. And it's not bad sweat, it's just, that's just the way I am. I worship the Lord, I get all sweaty worshiping the Lord. But it's really good to do that. And uh, so, but the bad thing about preaching two times is if you don't preach two times, if you mess it up bad the first time, you don't get a chance to fix it. <laughs> so if I mess it up, I won't be able to get the chance to fix it. But I wanted to, uh, this is the second part of the message about um, new beginnings in 2008. And I wanted to read Colossians 2, 1 through 3 this morning. And I want to. Uh, just really encourage you, Colossians 2, 1 through 3. It says, For I want you to know how great a struggle I have on your behalf and all those who are at Laodicea, and for those who have not personally seen my face. That's us. Okay? Those who have personally not seen Paul's face, this applies personally to us. That, now listen, this is really good, that their hearts may be encouraged, having knit, been knit together in love, and attaining to all the wealth that comes from the full assurance of understanding. These are sort of hard words, but all the wealth that comes from the full assurance of understanding resulting in a true knowledge of God's mystery, that is, Christ himself. In other words, he's just really trying to bring us into the, you know, the, the main thing is the Lord himself. And just speaking about the Lord Jesus Christ, in whom are hidden... All the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. All the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are hidden in Christ. Okay? And I think that's, you know, that's what we want to... Really what, what we got to get, I think, or maybe i got to get it, is, is somehow I think we've lost this, this reality about the person of the Lord in the church. I don't even really think we understand what preaching Christ is anymore. I mean, other, you know, we could preach verses about Him, but God really wants to reveal the Lord Jesus to us in a profound way. I really believe that. 
I believe He wants to reveal Himself to us and cause us to really love Him. He says, he says this, uh, all treasures of wisdom and knowledge are hidden in this person of Christ. Now that's a pretty powerful and profound statement. And what really God, I believe God's doing in the earth today, God's really trying to open the spiritual realm up in the earth today and release the spiritual realm into the earth realm. And he's, what He's doing, He's opening His treasure chest to us. That's what He's doing. God is really opening His treasure, treasure chest to us. And, you know, a lot of people have difficulty with, with that kind of stuff, but really it's a terrible mistake. It's a terrible mistake to resist that, to, to, to disqualify those kinds of things, because those things really are coming from the Lord Himself. And they're meant to really honor the Lord and glorify the Lord. Are y'all, y'all hearing what I'm saying to you? So there's, a, there's an error in the church. There's an error in our life when we begin to ignore anything that God's doing, anything that God is releasing, no matter how bizarre it may seem to you or how, how uh, weird it seems to you. If we ignore that, we are missing the opportunity to really give glory to the Lord and receive from Him. You hear? And then uh, let me just read this, uh, Colossians 1, 16 through 17. It says, For by Him all things were created, speaking of the Lord Himself, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible. If you really begin to pay attention to what Paul preached and what Paul wrote, is Paul talked about the heavenly realm and Paul talked about the earthly realm all the time. He didn't just talk about what was happening here on earth. He talked about what was happening in the invisible realm. So it's not a weird thing for the church to put a focus on the invisible realm. It's a weird thing when we don't do it because it's biblical to do it. And, and the Lord created all those things, okay, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, period. He, he's, he's the creator of those things. Now listen to this. All things have been created through Him and for Him. All things have been created through the Lord Jesus Christ and for Him. Okay? He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. Now, have you ever noticed in the church, I mean, if you've been a Christian very long, you will find this thing out, and I'm sure you've all noticed. Have you ever noticed how things that can be so wonderful can get so unwonderful pretty quick? Think about it. Think about great preaching can get really boring. Great, pre- great worship music can get really boring. Great prayer meetings can get just crummy. Honestly, missions can get terrible. I was listening to Heidi Baker last night, and she was talking about the misery of missions. Basically, being a miserable missionary. See, all these things, because, see, we miss... We, we, revival could be the worst thing that could ever happen to a people if we don't find that person of Christ in it. Because it's all for Him, and He's the one who holds all that together. And so what happens to people over and over, we get all enthused about something, no matter what it is, put it on there. Are you enthused about worship music today or about Christian music? You will get unenthused about it pretty quick. You will get very unenthused about it pretty quick if we don't press through this real thin veneer that's on us to find that person behind it. Because it was created by Him and it was created for Him. Are are y'all hear what I'm saying? That's why the church is bored. We're bored because we've lost the, the sense of the person of Christ. And Christianity is born without Him. And God really wants a light of fire in our hearts towards Christ again. He really does. I mean, I'm, I'm telling you something. This is, I'm really serious about this. 
If your Christianity is born today, if the Holy Ghost River is born today, you know why it is? It's because this person of Christ, you haven't found Him in the river. But if you really get in that river long enough, you're going to find Him there. If you get it, really get into worship music, if you really go after it and really dig and really or truly have a heart to worship, you can find Him somewhere in there. He's in there. He's hidden in there. He's hidden in preaching. He's hidden in prayer. He's hidden in missions. He's hidden all, in all these things, and yet we've missed Him. The church has missed Him. That's why I think, you know, what I felt this morning, the Lord really wants us to be careful when we worship the Lord. We come together as a church. He wants us to be real careful that we don't click into this, what I call, horizontal worship, where we begin to minister to each other in worship when He hasn't been ministered to, when we haven't really honored Him and loved Him. And I think that's what we do. But you know what? That stuff gets so boring it gets miserable. Vertical worship can get real crummy if, we don't really, if it's not true worship, if we're really not worshiping Him, if we're not really finding Him. Are y'all, do y'all kind of catch what I'm saying? I believe God wants to lead us. I think if we have a, a, a move of the Holy Spirit, if it don't ultimately lead us to that person, then we've, we've missed Him. We've gotten off the track somewhere. And I feel in my heart, God is saying to me, Byron, I want to reveal the Son of God to the church. That's what my agenda is. The Bible says all things summed up in Christ, things in heaven and things on earth. He's the ultimate purpose of God. And for us to have any, any other purpose that becomes greater than that purpose, something becomes wrong with that purpose. That's why you see people who, they, they, you know, their, their calling is so important to them, which it really is, but ultimately if your calling doesn't lead you to Him... And I don't believe in this. I do not believe in this teaching that says this. Seek, let's seek God's face and don't seek God's hand. Because that is, I really don't believe in that. That is not in the Bible. The Bible says seek the things which are above where Christ is. It doesn't say just, it says seek first the kingdom. That's what the Bible teaches. And there's a, a good intention out there that's being taught to people Seek the hand of God, but don't seek the God. You know, seek God's face, but don't seek His hand. That's the highest way, and that's not really a real biblical thing. It's, it's not. A, it sounds good, sounds right, but it's ultimately not right because it's not really what the Bible teaches us to do. It's religion. So, if you've got some created things in your life, good or bad, marriage, children your job, your profession, your best hobby, worship, church, your ministry. And those are all created things. And, and, and they've gotten boring to you. They've gotten crummy to you. Somehow in the middle of it, you've lost that, we've lost that person. I mean, abortion, you know, right to life, pro-life, all that, those are wonderful things. But if we don't have to find that person in that, that's just another cause. I mean, it's a great cause. And really what God is calling the church back to, really, I mean, honestly, I'm telling you all the truth this morning. I'm not just trying to tell you something. He's trying to call us back to the, to the Lord Himself. That's really what He's trying to do. He's trying to get us to see Him. That's what God's interested in doing. That's why I say I don't believe we know how to preach Christ anymore. I, I don't really believe we do. I don't believe I do. I don't think I really understand that. What does it really mean to preach Christ? I mean, we could take Bible verses and talk about them, like I'm doing now, but is that really preaching Christ? 
sounds kind of serious. <laughs> Y'all just sort of looking at me. <laughs> well, let me now. I want you to hold that thought. Okay, that really is my one of my purposes for our church this year. Okay, is that our church would become more focused on the Lord Himself. I mean, I think you had to be intentional about something like that. But that's, that's what's in my heart. That's really what God's put in me. He's wanting, he wants me to be, so I don't know what else to do for you except take you down the road I go on. Anyways, uh, now I want you to hang on to that thought for a minute, and I want to talk to you about something else. I want to talk, it's really the same thing, but it'll help you get there. The progression of our spiritual life. Okay, every, There's a progression in every person's spiritual life. And the Bible really gives it to us in the Old Testament. It shows us this progression in the Old Testament. Uh, being Egypt, being the world, okay? And then you go from Egypt, you go to, into the wilderness, okay? And then you go from the wilderness, you go into the promised land. And then from the promised land, you go into Mount Zion, which is the, the ultimate place called glory. So every Christian is meant to walk down that path in their life. Every Christian is meant, every person, I heard Billy Graham say this this morning, talking about us not deserving the love of God. He said, we didn't deserve to be born into sin neither. We didn't do anything. We got both. We don't deserve God's love and we don't deserve to be sinners because we didn't sin when we were born into sin. But that's just that's the state of mankind. So all of us are born into the world. We're born into Egypt. We're born into sin. And hopefully everybody in this room this morning knows Christ has come across, has crossed, out of, crossed over the Red Sea, baptized in the Red Sea, came over and came into a salvation experience with the Lord. The Passover. But then there's this wilderness thing that every Christian is going to have to walk through. That's why it's in the Bible. And God created the wilderness for us. He created us to go into the wilderness so He could humble us, the Bible says, to humble us, to test us, to help us see what's in us, and to help us see what's in us versus what, who, who He is. And the children of Israel went into the wilderness. And a lot of people think they were only meant to go in there. You know, they say it was a nine-day journey. Is that what it is? Or a two-week journey from, from, from the wilderness over into the Promised Land. But that's not really true. God meant for them to spend a little bit more time. Now, he did not mean for them to spend 40 years there. Well, I believe he meant for them to spend a couple years there because there were some things that had to happen in the wilderness. So they spent 38 years too long in the wilderness of their life. And see, that's what's happened to a lot of Christians. I think a lot of the church, we're stuck in the wilderness. We're stuck. How many in this room feel like you're going around in circles at times in your spiritual life? Feel like you're not going to that elevate place. You're not going over to the next level. And there's a lot of Christians who really are stuck. We get stuck somewhere spiritually. And that's what happened to them, is they got stuck spiritually. Well, in 2001, well, here's, let me just say this. This is what I see. You ever seen a balloon that's been blown up about 50 times and the air let out of it? You know how it gets sort of, sort of stretched out and flappy? It loses, it loses its elasticity. Well, that's what I see happens in the church. The Lord will come and move and we'll get blown up and we'll get excited. We'll get all fired up about something. And then it's like the air goes out. And we're flappy looking. And then it happens again. And then sooner or later, we just get jaded to the blowing up. You know, our expectations have been dropped so many times. We've, we've just missed it. And I think there's people sitting in this room this morning. You, you have, your expectations have been dashed over and over and over in your Christian life. And God hasn't really answered the prayers of your life. And the things that you've believed for have not come to pass in your life. 
So you get just jaded to the things of the Holy Y'all know what jaded is, right? That's an old saying. You get jaded in your heart to the things of the Spirit. So anytime God begins to move, you're skeptical, you're jaded. You don't want to embrace it. You don't want to enjoy it because you have just, you've had it. This is it. I'm done. No more, Lord. A lot of us get like that. It's not a good place to be. Well, in 2001, I'm telling you that because in 2001, the Lord began to give me vision, visions of water. And He began to speak to me. And I started having them for like several weeks, months. I keep seeing water and I keep hearing this thing in my mind. You've got to cross over. You've got to cross over. And I knew the Lord was speaking to me that I had lived the majority of my Christian life in the wilderness. I had a great wilderness theology. I knew the wilderness like the back of my hand. I was a wilderness guy. I had a lot of great theology because I had lived in the wilderness. I could navigate the wilderness. And the Lord began to speak to me. I got really excited and really blessed in my heart that finally in my Christian life, I was going to be able to make a crossover in my life and something was going to be different in my life. And I even lost grace for a lot of that wilderness theology teachings. Y'all know what some of them are. I shared some on with you last week, actually. Surrender, brokenness, submission. I just thought, man, I am never going to preach another message for the rest of my life on brokenness. And the reason I'm saying that is because I was stuck in this wilderness theology of brokenness. Although brokenness is real important, it's just how you get broken. There's one way God deals with us in the wilderness. There's another way He deals with us when we cross over into the promised land. Like I said last week, the way God deals with you in the wilderness and brokenness is He uses circumstances to deal with you. A lot of people are being, circumstances are, 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 are taking you down in life. Circumstances are breaking you. That's the only way God can get to you. It's through your circumstances and your situation. But there's a higher way. It's called an inward brokenness. That inward brokenness only works when you're in the promised land. It don't work when you're in the wilderness because there is a, there's where God wants to teach you things. He, he says He wants to humble you. It's like you don't even get a chance to humble yourself because He's too busy humbling you. Too busy breaking you. Too busy making things not work in your life. Too busy confounding your life. You, there's people, I know, that they don't seem to engage. It's like things never work because they're, they're, they're in this wilderness mindset. So I had this great vision in 2001, and the Lord's saying, you've got to cross over. You've got to break this wilderness mindset. And guess what happened to me? I mean, I was full of anticip- anticipation. I was full of expectation that my spiritual life was really going to change and something new was going to happen for me. And guess what happened to me? It was the opposite. If you remember 2001, we had 9-11. That was a pretty bad thing. That was a traumatic thing in the church overall in America. I mean, the church really went through a bad thing over, two, over 9-11, whether y'all realize it or not. It suffered. It really did. But on a personal level, some of the worst years of my life, honestly, from a, being a pastor kind of thing. I mean... My, I mean, I had more people mad at me than you can imagine. I had a guy chew me out in the parking lot one day, one Sunday morning right before we were supposed to start as he was leaving the church. He raked me through the coals. I'm leaving, you know, and just cuss, basically cussed me out. I said, well, if you want to leave, you can leave, but this ain't the right way to leave a church, man. Come on. But I mean, I had people line up around the door that were offended at me. Some of my best, closest relationships got strained almost beyond measure. 
It was like everybody was mad at each other. People who had been in the church and had really been a vital part of the church suddenly became offended. This is like a spirit that came into our church. It was a spirit of offense. And people became offended. I don't know if somebody might remember that. I got offended. You know? But here's the truth. You know, here I am thinking I'm going to go into the promised land and I'm, everybody's mad at me. You know? People are leaving the church. 9-11. The church is in a mess. And, you know, moves of God that we had experienced suddenly seemed to be going nowhere. And... Um, but, I'll tell you this, this is really the Lord for me. One thing I found out in, in, in that experience is how, how the enemy really, that's one area of your life he'll really mess you up in spiritually, is relationships. I mean, the Lord got to me this week for being, uh, just not being communicative, you know, communicating with some people. I could feel the Holy Spirit pulling off of me over it. I mean, I wasn't being mean to them, I was just ignoring them. I mean, that's all I was doing. I was sort of ignoring them. And I realized, the Holy, where's the Holy Spirit at in my life right now? Where are you, Lord? I went several days trying to find out where God was at, and finally I figured it out. It's because the way I treated somebody. And he was basically saying, I didn't like the way you treated that person. It's called grieving the Holy Spirit, quenching the Holy Spirit in your life. And, he, you know, he's sensitive so what happens a lot of Christians, I, what I learned through that is I learned a lot about forgiveness. I really learned a whole lot about forgiveness. That's why it's in the Lord's Prayer, because it's something we need to do and do often. And i tell you one thing I learned about forgiveness more than anything else is the Lord forgave me, therefore I have forgiveness in me. And I can forgive people because I have been forgiven. And ultimately that's what he told me one day. Because I said, I can't forgive this person, Lord. He said, yes, you can. Yes, you can forgive them because I've forgiven you, Byron. And if you'll let it, if you'll just let it, forgiveness will flow out of you because it's in you. That was a big lesson for me. Because I learned this time my flesh wants to kill, but my spirit man says, forgive. And I learned a lesson about forgiveness. I learned lessons about bitterness, about being bitter in my life, being disappointed in my life. The truth is, this is what happened to me. Your circumstances and situation in your life, they're either going to work for you or work against you. That's one of the things the Lord taught me. That this this stuff is going to it's either going to take you down or it's going to make you into what I want you to be. You can either find me in your difficult wilderness, messed up life, or you can walk keep walking away into the bitterness, or walk away into the disappointment, or walk away into discouragement. You you have a choice in your life. And see, I, I'm, I've come to a point in my life, I used to live, I thought all my life lived in regret. Even when I was a kid, I would regret stuff. But one of the things that God did, He delivered me from my, the majority of my regret. Maybe I have a little bit here and that, but the majority of regret in my life is gone. Because I found out something. All the bad things, all the disappointment, all the terrible stuff I went through really made me who I am. God used it to mold me and make me into who I am now. And I'll get to that in a minute. And we have a choice. It can mold you and make you into who God wants you to be, or it can break you and destroy you, and you can live the rest of your life messed up. So looking back on those wilderness times, I don't really regret them. I appreciate what the Lord did in my life. I'm blessed at what He did in my life, because it serves me well now. 
Like this week when he told me he was offended at me because I was ignoring this person, I immediately got right because I realized I need the Holy Spirit in my life and I missed the fellowship of his presence with me. And he's sensitive about the way we treat people, so I've learned how to treat people better. I'm not perfect at it, but he is. I came into this revelation of grace in that time. And if you think about grace, the grace of God, it's not grace of God's power. It's not just... I'm talking about a real revelation of grace. I'm not talking about some biblical knowledge of grace. I'm talking about talking about some theory. I'm not talking about just the grace of salvation. That's an aspect of grace. Grace has got many aspects, according to Peter's manifold grace of God, which means many colored, many aspects to it. But I came into this revelation of the grace of God in me doing it because I came to a point through this time where I didn't want to be a pastor no more. Literally, I mean, literally, I would look at this church building and go, I would literally do that every day of my life. I would look at it and go, I was miserable. Because to me, I felt like, this is what I saw, I saw this church on my back. And me caring it. Now you think, well, what an idiot you are for thinking that. Well, what, we're all idiots. That's what we do, <laughs> apart from the grace of God. And I came to a point one day where God showed me a door and there was light behind it. And the name of that door was grace, which is God's power in you doing what you need needs to be done through you, what He's asked you to do in your life. And when I went through that door, my life changed. Suddenly the church didn't go feel uh, to me no more. I felt like I could do it because of the grace of God in me and the grace of God that was on me. It's learning how to carry the burden that the Lord's assigned to you. And it's learning how, learning how to be yoked with Him, not yoked with people, not yoked with personalities, not yoked with all the you know, stuff that people want you to be yoked to. And people will constantly try to yoke you. Good Christians will try to yoke you. I don't let them. And they get mad still at me, but see, I don't really mind it no more because I'm good. Because as long as I'm good with the Lord, I'm good. And that's the way I really feel in my life. If he's happy, I'm happy. But when he gets unhappy, I get unhappy and try to find out what he's unhappy about in me. But one of the things about the grace thing that really kind of frustrated me, honestly, about it was all I saw was grace from a perspective of, being, of living a right life and doing those things, everyday things that God wanted me to do. In other words, grace really, can, you can live a holy life. You cannot sin if you live by grace. I mean, that's just what the Bible teaches, believe it or not. People don't believe it, but it's true. We can live a life without sin because of grace. If it's God doing it in Galatians 2.20, it's no longer I who live, but I live my life by the faith of the Son of God. It's His faith, Him operating in you. And we quit trying and we quit doing all this self-effort stuff and let Him flow in you. But the thing that really frustrated me is the Lord had... There was other things in me that God had put in me that I couldn't figure out how to put them together with the grace of God. And one of them was, was the supernatural realm. And one of them was revival. Because those were two things that had always been in my Christian life from the day I got saved. From the first encounter I ever really had with the Lord, it was a total supernatural encounter. I just had this opinion about God that, it, that He was the supernatural world that the Bible talked about was what we were supposed to live in. And we were supposed to be part of that. My first couple years of my Christian life was very supernatural until I started getting more involved in the church and it sort of go, started going downhill because that church taught me something different. 
And I did what they told, told me to do. And we sort of got into leaven. But let me read this Acts 11, 21 through 24. I heard this guy, Roland Baker, talking about... Everybody knows who he knows Roland Baker. They got the missionaries in Mozambique. They got thousands of churches. Heard him speak about three years ago. And he was talking about his ministry in Mozambique. And his, he said this, just to get through a day over there is, ma- is major. He, he said, if we run out of uh, 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 paper for the printer, that's a major deal where we're at. For you, you can just run down to Staples and get it. But for us, there's no Staples. It's a major deal just to have paper to print stuff on. And he said this. He said, when I go to bed at night, I am flat beat to pieces just getting from the day. But every morning I wake up renewed in the grace of God. Every morning. And when he said that, I thought, finally I have found somebody that can take the grace of God and apply it into a supernatural situation. And I'll be honest with you. That was the, the, the hook that the Lord used about Kathy Walter. Somebody gave me a message. I thought, I have never heard anybody preach on the grace of God and the power of the Holy Spirit and put them together like she did in this particular message. I wish she'd never preached that here. But listen to this. Uh, Acts 11. And the hand of the Lord was with them. Talking about uh, people at, at Antioch. And a large number who believed turned to the Lord. That's pretty big. That's revival. The news about them reached the ears of the church at Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas off to Antioch. Then when he arrived and witnessed the grace of God, he rejoiced and began to encourage them all with resolute heart to remain true to the Lord. For he was a good man, full of Holy Spirit and of faith, and considerable numbers were brought to the Lord. Verse 23, he arrived and witnessed what? What, what did he arrive and witness? Let's put back verse 23 right there. He arrived and witnessed what? The grace of God. See, there was a revival going on. And you see, what I'm telling you about my wilderness experience, what I feel like God did in my life, is I have a vision for revival, but I'm going to tell you something. You, you need a revelation of grace to have a vision for revival, to, to be able to be equipped to do revival. Arthur Burke told me that two years ago. He said, Byron, everybody talks about how wonderful revival is. Let me tell you what the behind the scenes of revival are. Let me tell you about that, that when we've heard that story about the children you know, being, being touched by the Lord. He said, guess who was hauling those church kids, going to get those kids, bringing them in there for God to move on? It was him. He was just saying, everybody thinks revival is all fun. He says, there's a lot of work that goes on in revival. He said, we have a vision for revival, but I'll tell you, we need to have a vision to work. Because revival is a lot of work. And if we don't have a revelation of grace, we're not going to be able to work. So I'm just what I want to say to you this morning, I really appreciate what the Lord did by not letting me cross over back in 2001 because I needed this revelation of grace to be able to cross into the things that God has for me now, which one of them is revival. That's good news, isn't it? All right, here's another one. Let me read this. I just want you to get this. Are you all okay? 2 Corinthians 12, 7 through 9. We're talking about Mr. Paul the Apostle, the ultimate person on grace in the Bible. As a matter of fact, I want to see these facts I picked up on Paul in grace. Okay? Too bad I didn't write them down. But anyways, Paul, they call Paul the apostle of grace. Uh, I can't remember how many times he mentioned grace in his writings, but I will tell you this. If you took a note sheet of notebook paper like this and copied all Paul's writing, every three quarters of a page he mentions the word grace. 
That's how much it was a prominent part of Paul's life. Okay? Every three quarters of a page, he wrote that little word down, grace. That doesn't mention all the things about in Christ, Christ in me. Okay? Christ, you know, the Holy Spirit. That's just talking about that one word. That's pretty profound thought if you think about it. So here's Paul saying these words. Verse 7. Because of the great surpassing greatness of the revelations. Okay? Because of the surpassing greatness. He's telling us that God had given him tremendous revelation. He, this is the chapter where he went up into heaven and saw heaven and had discussions up there. That he, couldn't, he said, I can't even talk about that. We can't, I can't even tell you things I was told up there. Okay? For this reason, to keep me from exalting myself, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh. We don't know what that is, and, and we don't care this morning. That's my position. We just know it was a messenger of Satan sent to torment Paul. Because that's, that's what it says. To keep him from exalting himself. Concerning this, I implored the Lord three times that it might leave me. And he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you. For, for power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weakness so that the power of Christ might dwell in me. So... If you're going to have this... See, we're going after the open heaven, right? Are you going after the open heaven? Are you going after the angelic rim? Are you going after being caught up into heaven yourself? If you're not, you're making a terrible mistake, like I said earlier. You should be. Every Christian should be. It's our inheritance. But if you don't have a revelation of grace, you're going to be in trouble. You need grace to be able to do that. You need grace to stand after you have these fantastic revelations. Or maybe God may send you a messenger of Satan. Would anybody like a messenger of Satan this morning? I don't. I just, I just want the grace, Lord. I'm glad I figured out how Paul got it. God brought it to me in a little bit there. So there's grace in revival. There's grace in holiness. There's grace in the heavenly realm. Okay? So if we're going to really go after these things, it's imperative that we come into a greater, fuller revelation of grace, which is simply God doing it. And it's us striving. Now, hang on. I got this. God has always desired a dwelling place on the earth. Okay, I'm switching gears just slightly. Always. If you go back, he says it to Israel back in Exodus, I think it's Exodus 23 or Exodus 35, 20, somewhere like that. He said, I'm looking for a place to live with you. And if you look at the Scriptures, that, they had, there were several dwelling places of God on the earth. There was Moses' tabernacle, that was the first one, that they built in the wilderness. Everybody say, built in the wilderness. Because I want to keep you engaged in this because this is really important. Then there was David's tabernacle, which was located on Mount Zion in the Promised Land. Okay? Then there was Solomon's temple that was located in the Promised Land also. Then there was a rebuilt temple by Ezra and Nehemiah. And later on, some other people got involved with it, but I don't want to count them this morning. Then there was the person of Christ on the earth. And then there was you and I personal, corporate body of Christ. Those are the dwelling places of God in the Bible. God's desired this thing with us. Okay, well, when God was giving me this revelation of uh, the crossing over, are y'all with me on this? Or have I lost you? Because I'm looking at you, you look sort of like you're lost. Okay? When God was giving me this revelation of crossing over, God also gave me this he spoke to me one day. And he spoke to me. This is in February of 2001 when he spoke this to me. He said to me, I want you to build me a house. 
And he said, and I said, okay, I'm going to build God a house. And I wrote down in my notes that I found by accident. I was looking through some old notes, and the first thing I thought, Lord, I owe this church an apology. <laughs> I have preached some of the rottenest stuff in this church. Please let me go on that website and erase all those messages because they're just crummy. They're low-level. They're not worth anybody listening. I don't want nobody listening to some of that stuff. But then I found this. In 2001, right in the middle of my wilderness experience, God said, I want you to build me a house. Okay? And this is, what he, this is the things I wrote down. It's a, pr- a place where the Father lives. His presence will always be felt there. There will be a sustained move of the church who is a part of this house. Okay, I wrote this down in 2001. All right, here's something else. There will be special times, like in the natural, like holidays, uh, special meals. These will be special meetings that we'll have in this Father's house where we will come together and eat something special. Okay? It's a place where the family is prepared for their life's calling. The family is prepared for their life's calling. Okay, it's a place where the family goes in and out and new family comes in. It's for the generations. There will be spiritual grandparents there. Spiritual grandparents there. And this is what... All right, so that was my vision. Now, think about it for a minute. Okay, that was in 2001. Well, I promptly forgot about all that. I'm so sorry, Lord. All that the Lord gave me, this right here that the Lord gave me in January of 2007 is that that He spoke to me in 2001. You see what I'm saying to you? In your worst moments, God speaks to you something and you may feel like it's never going to come true to the point where you forget it. But when God says something, it's the truth. God doesn't forget what He says. God absolutely never forgets a word of His. And I don't care what's going on in your miserable wilderness experience today. If God has said something, you can bank on it. And you may forget it until God lets you accidentally find something that He said to you. And you can grab it and then you can see, well, He's sort of refined it a little bit more and given you more information on it since then. Okay? This is one of the things He said. You will achieve this place by being interdependent. There's no place for independence. Interdependent. In other words, if you think about when Joshua and those guys crossed into the promised land, Joshua would not allow anybody. There was two tribes that wanted to stay back. He would not allow them to. He said, we're all going in together, and we're going to help each other. Now, that's what the Bible calls unity in the Spirit. And that's really what God really wants in the the church today is, is an interdependency. So I think one of the things that you, you know, what I want you to do is what you've got to get out of this. I don't care where you're at in your spiritual walk with the Lord. You've got to get, you've got to see that God is not a liar. God remembers His words. He doesn't never forget them. You, you and I are going to forget them. But He's not going to forget them. Isn't that right? And another thing, you need to be able to find God in your disappointment. Your disappointing years. Like I said earlier, it's going to either make you or break you. If you got disappointment and discouragement on you this morning, let down, you need to be able to find God in it. If you got relational problems today, you need to find, you need to find forgiveness and you need to find a, a way to deal with the bitterness in your heart. 
and let God... Because I'm going to tell you something. Angry, bitter people are very dangerous people in the body of Christ. They're very dangerous. They're bad for the body. They're bad for themselves, and they're really bad for the body of Christ. They bring something into the church that's not healthy. So we need to let the Lord to deal with the anger and bitterness in us because it's, it, it contaminates other people. In fact, there's a proverb that says don't even hang around with angry people. Stay away from them because you'll get angry with them. You don't want to do that. Another thing, I feel like you've got to take advantage of what God's doing right now. The Bible says today if you will hear His voice. In other words, whatever God's doing today, He's doing right now. But you know what? Tomorrow, whatever God did this morning, whatever God's doing right this moment, tomorrow He won't be doing it. Tomorrow's another day. And if we don't take... We lose what God's doing when we don't take advantage of what He's doing. I remember a big, big, big thing is I, there's no guarantee the Holy Spirit's going to be moving tomorrow, so I'm going for it today all the way. You know? Because I don't have a guarantee for tomorrow. You don't have a guarantee for tomorrow. Now, I have a personal belief that He's going to be moving tomorrow, which makes me feel real comfortable, but there's another thing that says don't, don't get com- too comfortable on that. You know? Go for it right now. Here's what I want you to do, Mr. Personality. This is what I feel, okay? You've got you've to get this. My personality is introvert. My personality is quiet and calm in the natural. And there's nothing wrong with that. But I've learned in the Spirit I'm a different person. I'm loud, I'm boisterous, and I'm aggressive. <laughs> and I had to make a decision about who was going to be the main person in my life. Was it going to be me in the natural or me in the Spirit? And that's what you need to, because our natural personalities will hold us back from what God has for us. Are y'all okay? All right, I want to read. I want to, I know I'm, I'm going to do this Acts 1-8 thing, though, because you've got to get this, because this is the whole point of everything I just shared to you. I know I took you on a long walk there. It's a good walk, and this the truth is, here's the truth. This is the only thing I know. I don't know anything else to tell you. I can only tell you what God's done in my life. I'm not going to just pick verses out and try to teach on them anymore. In fact, I'll tell you this. This is what the Lord told me recently. Byron, don't try to teach this stuff. Stop it. Just stop that. Because I'm a teaching kind of person. I like to dissect things and figure them out and lay them out in a sequence that people can get. And the Lord said, no, I don't want you to do that. That's why I'm concerned about y'all. Because I'm going to lose you. (laughs) And I know you, I'm out of time, but I really want to read this Acts 1-8 because this is really the bottom line here. This is what I feel like God really wants to say. You know, remember I started out with Jesus being the focus of the church and that we really need to be intentional about Jesus, you know, and we need to get our hearts back what preaching Christ really is and about what worshiping Christ is really all about and all them things that are so wonderful. But this is what... Uh, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest part of the earth. So, this is one thing the Lord spoke to me. He said, uh, if it's going to be good news to other people, it needs to be good news to you. Okay? That's what he told me. If this is not good news to you, how can it be good news to other people? Okay? So when the Holy Spirit began to move back in October, that really brought me across. I finally was able to really cross over, I felt like, and enter into the promised land. 
Okay? But I, and see, what you've got to do is you've got to cross over if you want to get into Zion. That's the glory realm. You, you've got to get out of the wilderness. You've got to take the steps that God has ordained for every person to walk through. You've got to get, you've got to get out of Egypt if you're in Egypt today. You've got to get out of the wilderness if you're there. And you, if you're in the promised land, which is a place of inheritance, a place of breakthrough, it's a place of coming into what you have, but you cannot stop there. If you stop there, you're going to miss the big thing. The big thing, David had the big thing. He had the presence of God right there in his yard that he embraced and that he loved. That's Mount Zion. That's the glory. That's the place of Christ. That's where Christ is revealing Himself to people on a very personal level. That's where God wants to take the church. And that's what good news is. It's when we see Him like that, we have something to give the world. Uh, so um, I'm convinced uh, what God has been trying to do in our church has been trying to soak us in His love. I, that's really what God's been doing in our church, whether you realize it or not. He's been trying to soak us in God's, the Father's love, His heart of love towards us. Now, that's really the bottom line of what He's been trying to do. And if you've, if you've hated it, guess what? You've hated God trying to soak you and saturate you and permeate you in love. Because I have come to realize that this filling of the Holy Spirit, this baptism of the Holy Spirit, is first and foremost about receiving God's love into your life in a profound way. Now, that's really the truth about it. It's not about speaking in tongues and gifts of the Spirit, which are really cool things to do. You know? Because really what, hap- what God wants to do, I, this is what He wants to do. That thing, witness there, y'all know what it means, right? It means martyr. That's the word. Martyr. You shall be martyrs, both in Jerusalem and that's, that's a, really a tough word to handle. Okay? You're going to be a martyr? You know what a martyr is? It's somebody who dies. Okay? I don't really like that word, honestly. I wish that they'd use something else besides martyr. I mean, i got to die for this thing, Lord? I mean, you know, seriously. I mean, really, how many of us in this room really are deep down in our most innermost being are willing to die as a witness for the Lord. I mean, I don't want to ask you that because I don't want you to tell me because you may lie. <laughs> you may not know. But you know Andy's song, Glory? How's that go? Glory in the highest. How's it go? Glory and praise. Glory to you, Jesus. We declare the greatness of your name. The Lord, something about God loved us so much He gave us. Is that what it says? Oh, how much you've loved the world. Well, let me tell you a little experience I had with that song. First time I ever heard that song, I had a vision. Y'all may have been here. I went ballistic. Because <laughs> the, the vision made me go ballistic. Because what I saw marching was an army of martyrs. for All, all, all martyrs for all eternity were marching. And they were marching to their death. That's what really just got me is they were marching they had the look on their face. They weren't afraid. They had this look of absolute adoration and love on their face. And when I saw it, I felt like an ant. And when I think about it now, it makes me feel crummy. Because I realized those people love God beyond anything. 
beyond anything. And I realized how much I don't love God. That's what it made me feel like. You say, well, that must not have been from God. Because <laughs> God only does things to encourage you. <laughs> don't you believe it? <laughs> God knows how to get to us, and sometimes it hurts for the truth of your heart to be exposed. We talk about That's why I say you better have some grace if you're going to start having visions. You're going to get caught up into heaven because you're going to see some things that are going to eat you alive if you don't have grace to hold you together. To realize, no, I can't love Him like that. I can't. It's not in me, God. Those people loved you, but I don't. But that doesn't condemn me because I have this revelation of grace that says, but you can if I ask you to because there's something in you. There's this man in you that died and, and loved. And if I draw that man out, you'll do whatever I want you to do. That sort of sets me free, right? I, mean, I like that revelation of grace. Are you okay? I know I'm running you late, but... Woo. I'm about done. I just want to make you get this one thing about loving Jesus. See, we really need to love Jesus, but God has to love Jesus through us. The Bible says we first love Him. We love Him because He first loved us. But God wants to lead us into that. He wants to draw that out. Well, a couple weeks ago we were singing that song again. I had this other thought, other vision thought. It was a vision thought. I can't explain it to you. But this is what it was. Uh, wait a minute. You mean, you mean that you, you loved the world so much that you was willing to give Jesus for it? And now you're asking me for it? How can you ask me that? I can't. That was a thought that came into my mind from God. If God ever puts his thoughts in your body, it makes you want to go nuts. That's what I thought. You mean you're asking me to give my life for this? You really are asking me, Lord? Because I'm not just going to go do something stupid. I didn't learn that. I'm sorry if I'm being emotional. (laughs) It's a pretty serious thought, really. But it just got inside of me. I couldn't get it out of me. I mean, I've laid in bed at night and thought about it for weeks, for three weeks what I've thought about. Are you really telling me? What are you telling me, Lord? Please show me what you're telling me. That you really want me to be a martyr, a literal martyr? I mean, I don't want to hear about that. So, this is what something, this is what I felt. I don't know what he wants on that. It may be. Who knows? If that's so, there's grace when the time comes. You know what I'm saying? If that's really what God calls any of us into, then there's a power in us to lay our lives down like that. It's not something we have to do on our own. But I do feel the Lord is saying at least this. At some point in time, God wants to say to some people, I, I, I want you to go into the world. You know? But here's what you've got to give the world. You've got to give them love. 
That's what I feel like he's saying. There's people out there and they need love. That's why you and I need love. That's what a real witness is. If we've witnessed his love, if we've really experienced his love, then we can give these people their love. Do y'all get that? I'm, no, I'm talking about do you really get it? I'm talking, do you really get what I'm saying to you? This is really important what I'm saying to you. I'm not just messing around here. I'm not just trying to be, trying to preach you a good message. I, I'm trying to tell you something that God really wants us to get. And it makes me late for the ball game. <laughs> It'll be worth it. <laughs> we were doing the CSM thing and last week and part of their assignment is to go witness to somebody ever one person a week outside the church gotta go tell somebody about it but the thing we said is it doesn't matter if that person gets saved I mean it matters ultimately but it really doesn't matter if they don't get saved or if they don't get healed if they don't get delivered if they don't have a manifestation if they don't have nothing all that really matters is that person knows that God cares about them. That's all that matters. And when we come in here and we ask the Lord to come, all we want is for people to know that God cares for them. It don't matter if they have a manifestation. It doesn't matter about the yell. None of that stuff is important. What's important is that people feel loved by God. How are we ever going to be sent out? God wants to send people out. That's what's in this heart. That's what I'm trying to tell you. I see this door way. There's a doorway that I keep seeing. That's what all this came down to for me. And that door goes out the door. It goes out somewhere. It goes out where God sends you. But if you don't go out carrying his love, man, what are you carrying? I'm going to carry the gifts of the Spirit. Word of knowledge. You know people get bored doing giving words of knowledge? Did you know people get bored doing evangelism, witnessing to every waiter that comes by? People get bored. It's because they're not really ministering the love of God. That's why you get bored with it. Are you okay? Here's something that Bill Johnson wrote that really, really will help you. Okay, this will help you. Let me read it to you. I read it this morning. Well, I was supposed to be up here preaching the first service. I was working on this message, and I just was doing this little devotional. It was written in this devotional I'm doing. He said, We can travel the globe and preach the gospel, but without a personal revelation of the Father's heart, we're carrying around secondhand news. Carrying around secondhand news. A story without a relationship story without a relationship. It might save people because it's truth. But there's so much more. There's so much more. A second hand, I think I don't want to have a second hand. I don't want second hand story. I don't want second hand news. I want personal news. I believe the Father's heart is this. It's the love of the Father. It's the love of God. It's the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and it's the communion or fellowship of the Holy Spirit. Those three aspects, 2 Corinthians 13, 14, is 
So, what I'm trying to say to you, in the spirit realm is a door. Okay? God wants people to go out that door, but He wants them to be witnesses. He wants them to be martyrs. Okay? That's what He wants. He wants them to go, but He wants them to go with the thing that changed our lives, the thing that changed my life, the thing that took me from the wilderness. It was God. It was the Father. It was the Holy Ghost. It was them loving me. It was them giving me grace. It was them caring about me. It was them fixing me on the inside. So when I go and witness to somebody or go share something with them, they somehow know that they had an encounter with God. They may not know at that moment. They may not get saved, but some in their heart is going to work on them because they had an encounter with heaven. That's what God wants. That's all God wants. That's all He's asking from you and I is to have that kind of heart. That's all He's asking. He's been asking that question a long time to us in this church. A long time. all he wants and he said I'll give you the Holy Spirit and he will make you that he will make you that Don't did you get that that's what the Holy Ghost does he does it he makes you that he'll come on you and he will make you into a witness that's the key that's, that's the only key there is Thank you, Lord. You know, God loves us desperately. Desperately. Everything He has, He's made known to us because of His love. Amen. And this morning I feel like He's, he's given us an opportunity to cross over. To cross over. There's two different kinds of rivers. There's one that comes out of Egypt, and there's one that goes from the wilderness into the promised land. Now, there's people in here this morning that you're still in slavery. Byron's talking about Egypt. Well, what does that mean? Egypt means slavery. It means that you have still been held by the chains of sin. And because of God's great love, He wants to break those chains off of you and bring you into a new place with Him. If that's you here this morning, in just a few minutes when we pray, I want you to just come forward here and pray with somebody on our ministry team. If we could have some ministry team folks come up here right now. You guys just come on up. Find one of these people with a badge and say, you know what? I need to be I need those chains broken off. I need to be made a new spiritual person on the inside. I need to meet this person, Jesus, and have a real relationship. Not go to church. That's part of it, but it's not about going to church. It's about coming into communion with God Himself in Jesus. Amen. Now, there's a lot of other people sitting in this room this morning that you've been walking in that wilderness mentality maybe all your life or for a long time or for a long period of time. And God wants you to make a decision. That doesn't mean it's going to necessarily happen in a moment, but you're going to make a decision this morning. You say, Lord, I know you want to bring me across that new, that spirit river. You want to bring me across that Jordan River into a promised land way of thinking. Okay, and as we, as I, after we, I pray, if that's you, I want you all to respond to the Lord this morning as He's moving on you.